so we encourage you, uh, as Eleanor is pointing out, uh, we encourage you last week to take a commitment card as we move forward. Uh, we want you to be with us in that. And so we encourage you to take that and, and pray over it. And some of you have done that. If you forgot yours, you lost yours, we won't ask questions. There are some right out there. Grab it. Uh, and, and we want you to encourage you to fill those out. You can drop them off today in the Red Give box or next week, uh, too. We encourage you to do that or give them to one of our lead team members. Uh, we would greatly appreciate that. And so next week, we are calling our Commitment Sunday. And we're looking at really what it means to be committed to what God has called us to. Uh, and, and we're asking that you would commit um, with us in that. And a part of that was giving. And, and as we looked at uh, Commitment Sunday um, we, we threw around some different ideas, some different verbiage that we thought might work. Uh, we decided we would scratch those. Uh, I think the first idea we had up there was giving, I'm upping mine, up yours. Um, and uh, we decided to scratch that one. Um, and, uh, and then... Uh, I thought, you know, we're doing like different service work together, and so maybe stewardship together in new kingdom service sounded good. And I was like, man, that's really long. Is there an acronym um, that we could make out of that? And I was like, no, that stinks. Uh, that's not good. Not, not good at all. Some of you are like, man, I bet your dad jokes are horrible. And they are. Um, <laughs> and I was texting with our leadership and about this, and um, I got this text that said, um, Steve, don't you think it's time to make sense? And I was like, oh, that's cool. Uh, perfect. I love it. Time to make sense. That's, that's wonderful. And then I got this text right here, no sense. The motto cried, like, <laughs> that was just a critique of, uh, and I was like, oh, well, my bad. Uh, so we decided with Commitment Sunday. Um, because we believe, uh, yeah, some of y'all like, man, you really went hard for that, didn't you? Um, yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> oh my. But we want it to be fun. Um, a commitment should be fun. Think about when you're at a wedding and two people are pledging to give their life to each other, it's a fun time, right? Today, we're actually looking at, as we look at making this commitment, we're looking at this, uh, there's a wedding that happens. It's in, it's in John chapter 2, but before we get there, I want to read this. I want to set the stage for this miracle that we're about to see. So I want to read to you something that happens at the end of John. It's in John chapter 20, starting in verse 30. It says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Verse 31, you should really take note of this. But these, meaning everything John wrote before, are written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John says, hey, listen, there's tons of stuff that Jesus did. I didn't record it all here. 
However, the things that I recorded here are so that you can believe that Jesus is the Messiah and through that have life. Now here's what you should know. John only records eight miracles of Jesus. Only eight. Interestingly enough, John chapter 2 is the very first one. So that's where we're starting today. John chapter 2, starting in verse 1, this is what it says. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Let's stop right there for a moment. Uh, I want to set the stage for us a little bit in helping us understand what's happening here because it's different than our modern day weddings. In fact, in Jewish tradition, um, there was two kind of markers of a wedding. The first one was actually where you had kind of a big ceremony. It was a big party and it was called a betrothal. And this is really where the whole ceremony went down. This is where the whole party went down. This, is, this is, was the big hoopla where everybody came together. And technically, those two people were married. However, there's about a 12-month gap between the betrothal and the marriage. The marriage was basically when the bride's family walked the bride to Uh, to their son-in-law and said, okay, now y'all living together. And typically what would happen is for for a young groom is that he's spending that 12-month time kind of preparing, showing, getting things ready for, for his bride. I want you to think about that in the, in the context of some of you know that, that uh, scripture that Jesus says, my father has prepared a place for you so it's ready for you when you come. You're the bride. So this groom goes and he prepares everything. He's getting everything ready. And his responsibility is to show that he can be everything that bride needs for life. That he can be kind of the man of the household. So oftentimes he would build a separate room off of his father's house. And that would be their space. And that he would, he would kind of venture on his own. He may be learning the family trade, but now he's going to take more of a hand in that so that he can have the money to provide for his family. And this is key. But what we find here in this Scripture points to the fact that maybe this young man isn't quite as prepared as he had thought. Because unlike in our culture, what would happen is uh, in the betrothal period, this big party period, is that the young man, this groom, was responsible for paying for everything. That was his job. It was his way of saying, listen, I got this. I'm prepared. I I can take on the responsibility of providing for my wife and my family. The problem is, is that he wasn't. Now they ran out of wine. And here's the thing about wine, especially in this culture, when the wine, when the wine runs out, the party is over. In fact, wine 
in this setting equated to joy. There is actually, this is interesting, in, in, in this betrothal period, there's, there's vows that they kind of say together, and they would take a cup of wine, and it was called the cup of joy, and they would say things over the couple like, listen, may, as this cup is full of wine, may your life together be full of joy. The symbolism isn't lost on us, is it? That the wine is out. <laughs> that the joy is depleted. And that the young man has fallen short in what he was supposed to do. Jesus' mom. They have no more wine. Meaning big problem. Meaning this young man wasn't prepared. Meaning the symbolism of, of what we understand joy to be is gone. Jesus says, woman, this is interesting right here. The, the word that he uses is, is not just mom or senior woman in the room or whatever. He actually just calls her lady. Lady? <laughs> My mom would have smacked me silly. <laughs> My mom would still smack me silly. Why do you involve me? And I don't want you to, I want you to listen to the context of what's happening. This isn't my problem. I'm not the person getting married. I'm not the person that's supposed to show that I can support another person. This sounds like it's a somebody else problem, not a me problem. We're talking about wine that somebody else was supposed to have already gathered up. And this isn't a me. This is a them. And in fact, he says, my hour has not yet come. Now, you can take that two ways. First of all, he's, uh, some, some theologians have said, you know, listen, he's referencing back to say, listen, uh, 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 when, when it's my time or if it is ever my time, I'll make sure I have the wine. That could be one way you look at it. I think a better way to look at it is this, that Jesus recognizes with the start of a miracle that people are going to begin to follow him to his death. That ultimately what he came to do was to give his life as a sacrifice for you and I. And I think what he's saying is, do we really want to start that off with a young kid who wasn't prepared to get into marriage? Is this how we're really going to knock this thing off right here? Like, wouldn't it be better if I was healing a thousand people? Or wouldn't it be better if I was, like, helping demonstrate some kind of power the theological statement where people actually believed in God a little bit more? But really what you're asking me to do is save some young kid's hindquarters so he's not embarrassed when he gets married. That's what you want me to do. Like a good Jewish mother... His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. And these hold from about 20 to 30 gallons. There's six of them. You can do the math. Some of you are doing the math on your phone. That's okay. <laughs> and he told them, now draw some of it out 
and take it to the master. Uh, fill them, sorry, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim, and then he told them, now draw some of it out and take it to the master of the banquet. So he did. And then the master of the banquet tasted the, uh, the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize, he didn't realize where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And he called the bridegroom aside and he said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best for now. He pulls them aside and he says, Listen, what normally happens is that you let the, the guests kind of get intoxicated so they don't really know what's happening. Then, and then you, you kind of bring out the worst. You water it down a little bit so that people don't know. But you, you've done something different. Instead of the egg being on his face, he said, no, 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 no. You, you just keep giving the best more and more and more. See, what I can see from you is the best is still to come. There's going to be so much joy in your future. What Jesus did here in Canaan, Galilee, was the first signs through which he revealed his glory. And the disciples believed in him. This is interesting. Because there's nothing in here that is innately super spiritual. Now, if you listen to a lot of people, they want to try to make some connection you know, there's a ceremonial uh, jars, and, and there's wine, and there's new wine, and so they're trying really hard to make some theological gaps. And listen, I'm, I don't want to sit and disagree with all these people, but I want to break down the story very simply to what people at the time knew. There was a problem for a young man, and Jesus was willing to step in. And show that he cared about humanity. And that he was willing to put his self on the line for somebody else. And I don't know about you, but when we see, for me, when I see those stories in other people, it gives me hope. That there's still good in the world right? When you see somebody run into a burning building and they didn't have to, but they wanted to because that, that's just how they felt about things. They pulled people to safety. You're like, they're still good in the world. They put themselves in harm's way. They put themselves out because somebody else needed them. And so they leveraged what they had for somebody else. And this is exactly, this is exactly what Jesus does. See, Jesus' first miracle serves as a reminder that the God of the universe cares about all aspects of your life. See, when I was growing up, I, I kind of just thought that God cared about when I showed up to church and the ways in which I worshiped. And there's truth to that. He does. But that's not all he cares about. Church, that's not all he cares about. He cares about you. He cares about your joy. Now, not everything in life is going to make you happy. And God's m m bigger purpose is to make you holy over happy. And that's hard to wrestle with. But God cares about all 
aspects of your life. He cared about a young man who was going to, to, to receive some kind of uh, uh, stigma about the way in which he had prepared things. And he said, you know what, I'm going to have a divine intervention because I care about it. And I wonder what it would look like as a church if we cared about the things around us in that kind of way. That we saw it and we didn't say, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and let that problem right because it's not my problem. I can easily sleep at night without having to worry about that. But we enter into it anyway. As we look forward to what God is calling us to do, I want to point out a few things that I think are paramount in this story, but in so many other ones that that we have read together over the last few weeks about Jesus being immeasurably more. The first one is this, that our mission is to help people connect uh, with God through their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we read the Shema. The Shema is this prayer. Love the Lord your God with all your, come on, Heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And love your neighbor as yourself, right? We, we know that one too. And have you ever wondered why heart, soul, mind, and strength? You ever wondered why? It's because God cares about the pieces of you. See, there's a soul part of you. And that soul part of you connects to a spirituality. It's, it's what drives you. Sometimes you're singing in a car, you're listening to a sermon or whatever it is, and, and the Holy Spirit convicts you in such a way that sometimes maybe it just brings you to tears or maybe it causes you to transform your life in some way, and that's wonderful. But that's just one part of you. The Bible helps us remember that there's other parts of you too, and some of you are geared more in that way. That's how you connect to God naturally. There are some of you that are strength people. You're always looking for a way to serve. It's hard for you to sit sometimes in a worship service. You're always looking for something else to do because you need to tangibly work out your spirituality with God, and that's the way God made you. Some of you, you're heart people. Man, you, you, you hear of something and it just breaks your heart. You have such big passion. And, and, and every time you hear about something else, man, your, your heart just goes out to it. And you, and you have a hard time not thinking about those things, not trying to problem solve how God wants you to in, uh, work in those things. That's the way God made you. Some of you are mind people. The way that you connect, man, it's like... Have you read that latest book by Henry Nouwen? Mind blown. You know, have, you, have, you, have you heard this latest thing? Have you thought, man, I've never thought about it that way. Mind blown. God says, I want you to love me with all of you, however that looks. And here's the thing. In our mission, we want to help people Connect with God through their heart, soul, mind, and strength. See, here's the cool thing. When we gather on a Sunday morning, this is great. This is wonderful. This is just one aspect of it. There's so many other aspects in which we can grow in relationship with God that we don't have here. And if this is as deep as it ever gets, I'm telling you, you're missing a ton. You're missing a ton. Is there so many other ways that God wants to grow you? 
And so we've talked about this before, and um, we're working with the Solomon Foundation to, to, uh, to find a permanent place uh, for Wellhouse. But I want to let you know this. We aren't just looking for any building. In fact, we've gone to look at a couple. We determine they're not right because we're looking for the right building that will, that will best accommodate this mission. You see what I'm saying? That it's a place where we can use it to help people connect to God through their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our goal is to create a community space where children and families can experience joy and grow their faith in God. That's our goal. Where they can connect and learn about the ways in which God made them and that they grow in that in their faith in God. So having a space where we can partner with like-minded businesses and organizations in the community to better do that, because it doesn't just have to be a well-house space. Listen, folks, this is a God space. This is a God thing, and we're just along for the ride, right? This is huge. This is huge. And this also, uh, in this, this part of the journey, allows us to do immeasurably more because in a partnership mentality, the, the, the financial burden isn't just on us, that we get to partner with other things in order to be able to do that. But these opportunities that we have uh, are opportunities for children and families to be successful in their life. And it may look like uh, ELS classes where we get to help families together learn um, uh, English as a second language. It might look like vocational interest training for young people where a lot of times, especially in our community, we don't uh, always get to, uh, we don't always get to see kids go off to college and that's okay but we want to train them for what God has developed for them in their life and help them turn on some kind of key for their life so that they see the way in which God has made them. We want to have support groups and resources for folks like single moms or blended families or military families in a support group or foster families, adoption families, life skills trainings, uh, life skill trainings. Various things where we get the opportunity to meet people where they are and show them the love of Christ and how Christ has made them unique, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And help them develop into what God has called them to. See, it's not as easy as just finding a building. We don't want to just plop ourselves down in somewhere, meet on Sunday mornings, and be a church. <laughs> Folks, we have a greater mission than that. We have a greater mission than that. And that's why you'll hear me say it over and over and over again until maybe one day you really want me to stop saying it, but I won't. And that is our biggest prayer. And our greatest joy and our most significant mission should be to help others find a transforming relationship with God. And we will not stop until we do.
Because that's what we believe God has called us to. And so next week is our Commitment Sunday where we're asking you, are you all in with us? Are you all in with us to transform a community, to transform the spiritual landscape of a community in which we live? And here's the thing. You and I, we may never see the end result of that. But we believe that God can do immeasurably more through us when we're all in together. And so we ask you to come back next week and be ready to commit. Be all in with us. And we won't ask you to up yours. (laughs) But we will ask you to be open to what God is putting on your heart to join us in God at work in our community. May the Lord bless you and keep you May the Lord make his face shine on you and give you peace. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with tremendous joy. May you be swept away in God's love for you and transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to the only God, our Savior, who is unparalleled and unchanging, who is matchless and merciful, who is supreme and sufficient, who is before all things and through all things and in all things, both now and forever. Amen. Would you stand with us as we worship?